0: Welcome, everybody, to a, I wasn't going to say a live, but this is not going to go out live, so an in-person edition of Are You Not Entertained. Uh, we are doing the heavy lifting for Rog, and I, and I have to say before we start this, Rog, you, know, you thanked everybody this morning for their work. Um, what you've done in the last couple of days has been extraordinary. I know how difficult it is to moderate a panel for you to do that for two days the way you did. Kudos that. was absolutely extraordinary. So I'd like to give Rog a quick round of applause for the effort put in. Thank you, mate. Um, Joining me uh, today, we have, as always, Giles Morgan on the in there. Gilo, how are you doing, mate? Grant, I'm exhausted. I'm absolutely exhausted. I'm overfed. You've done bugger all. I have done bugger all,
1: and I'm overfed, and I'm feeling very fat, and I'm not sure the plane will take off, but hopefully we'll get back to London.
0: which one of you wants to say, oh, no, you don't, Giles. No, you look fine. (laughs) You look fantastic. Oh, Dan, stop it. (laughs) Uh, That was the voice of one of our two guests, Dan Porter of Overtime. Dan, welcome.
2: Thanks. What's amazing is that I was talking to each of you, and you didn't have these kind of voices, and now we just got on, and you've well, got your radio you? voice on. I, like, <laughs> I feel like I can't even keep up.
0: Thankfully, your voice is unchanged, it was the whole thing of the And also joining us, uh, Ant of Avora. and welcome.
3: Thank you very much. Very excited. End of a great couple of days. Rog, great job on everything, except for the weather. Ant, I have a quick question for you. What happened to the socks? I don't wear socks, like no. pretty much ever. Gosh, that it
1: seems to be a trend. There's been a few people I've noticed around the summit who are sockless, and a lot of trainers, things have changed, so I think fashion is moving on, maybe yeah, not for me. I haven't got to the trainers just yet.
0: I don't know why I like the sockless thing. And when you say you don't wear socks, is that like a point of principle of some sort, or you, or just, you just don't wear socks? Is there a reason for it?
2: Have you seen those ankles? <laughs>
3: Thank no, you. Finally, Dan understands. What <laughs> I do have spectacular ankles. Um, like to share them with the world. I've, it's not the first time I've heard that. You
2: don't get a 40-inch vertical without ankles. Like... <laughs> you would have been um, a hit in Victorian
0: London, I can tell you that much.
3: You know, I think it's maybe like I have three kids, there's a lot of washing, the socks go missing, I can't find the pair, so I'm just like, We'll just slip something on.
0: All right, well, I'm a staunch sock wearer, Jala. You, you're not a man who likes to wear wear a sock and turn a decent ankle. Um, let I wanted to talk to everybody about what they've taken away from from this conference because uh, everybody in the room here has obviously been here for the last couple of days and we've had truly a, a phenomenal set of discussions. Um, but people listening to the podcast obviously weren't lucky enough to be uh, to be in the room where it happens, so to speak. And so I want to talk about a few things that we've all taken away from this and share those with you. So jollo I'm going to come to you first. Um, What's your takeaway been from the last couple of days? Well, it felt a little bit like Roger had assembled a a kind of star
1: chamber of very eclectic minds from throughout the industry um, to create a community where everyone was listening to each other and learning from each other. And I think very often you have sports gatherings, sport business gatherings, where people are on... They're promoting, they're on um, transmission all of the time. The amount of people, I think, have been learning from each other has been really the takeaway. We've... The agenda was some pretty significant challenges for the industry when we think about television rights and the future of media to how much investors should pay, are they overpaying, through to Saudi Arabia. I mean, all of the different areas, which I'm sure we'll cover now, masterclasses from many people that we're all taking and sharing, and I think that's been the the takeaway in year two of of the sports summit, Um, that this is almost like every year like a bellwether uh, it's a temperature check on our industry because it's always going to change because society, economy is changing all of the time. And if the purpose of this, this summit is just to draw a line every year, just to have a look under the hood, it'll be very, very valuable.
0: You know, uh, Dan, you, we talk about the future of sport, and um, you know, you've been at the forefront of that with overtime for, for some time now. So as someone who, uh, by definition, is forced to look almost exclusively to the future... What did you take away from this in terms of maybe how you see shifts that you hadn't thought about or stuff that you're going to take away and will inform your thinking going forward?
2: Well, I used to say when people would say, well, how how will overtime keep growing? I said, I don't know. Maybe we'll, we'll buy like a sports team in Europe or a league. But after two days of this, I'm too depressed about the state of most sports teams and leagues in Europe with the exception of the Premier League think that that's remotely feasible or viable. But at
0: the same time, you realize they're probably on sale pretty cheap, given the state of them.
2: That's true, but <laughs> now learning all the hidden transfer fees and manipulations by agents and the many ways I can get F-bombed, um, uh, I am going to just stick to the boring US stuff <laughs> in, in the short term. But I do think it is... I mean, for me and for you know the company uh, that I started... I think you wanna believe that there's opportunities to create new things and something out of nothing. And, you know, to hear about essentially in sports, especially in Europe where the rich get richer and the rest of the teams and leagues don't get richer, it's either depressing or you're just thinking, well, maybe there's gotta be some opportunity in there that, that I gotta figure out from that.
0: Yeah. And what about you? Is there anything that's rattling around your head now on the long flight home to Australia you're gonna be trying to think about?
3: I think everything's rattling around my head, uh, um, including maybe some leftover from dinner. Um, But the the thing that I take away from last year, and and I was excited, really excited to come back this year, is that the conversations are fascinating to to listen to, but there's a real human element to to this get-together. And, and get, you know, catching up with people. I live on the other side of the planet. So, it's you know, but spending that quality time, it's like the conversation during the sessions is amazing, but I really love the conversations in the break. And you find out about people's lives and their families and, and sometimes you go to a conference and it is, I think Giles was just touched on it, it's, it's transmission mode, I'm here, I've got a pitch, I've got to whatever. And this is just the opposite of that. And it's actually quite refreshing and, I you know, I, I go away from this. Um, there's some challenges in the industry but there's a you know a great bunch of human beings that have been put together here that I think you know gives me some hope that together we can try and work through these things it's not going to be solved tomorrow but uh, I'm very optimistic you know coming away from something like this.
1: Grant one of the the great things with Rog not being on this podcast um, is it means we can kind of talk between the two of us and he gives us quite a hard time quite a shooing um, about being the Corinthian and the traditionalist. and one of the things I was thinking about during the course of the last couple of days, is if you think about the tradition of sport, it's always, been in, it's always been in transition. If you go back 300 years, sport didn't look the same quite clearly as it does today, and nor will it tomorrow. So anyone who says they are a traditionalist is only going back a little bit in time before that was moved on. Think about cricket. It only arrived in India because of an empire that is no longer in existence, but it is the dominant, fastest-growing sport probably out of Asia right now, and I remember being, I think I said this in a podcast before, I remember when I lived in Hong Kong, someone saying, can you imagine if cricket was ever in the Olympic Games? And I, I thought, you're absolutely mad. There's no chance. I think it's, it's more, more likely than not now. It's moving. And I think that's, again, this kind of gathering, and the purpose of this podcast is just to keep
2: uh, tabs on what is going on because things are moving fast. Well, this is the first sports conference I've been to where no one talked about pickleball. Uh, for the last two days, so to me that was refreshing. That's what, that's what this podcast yeah. is about. <laughs> it's never too late. Let me
0: tell you, Piquel. Piquel ball. Yeah, it's, it's funny for me. You know, I, what I took away that was I found really encouraging. And, and you know, Roger gives me a hard time that I'm this romantic, misty-eyed fan of sport who doesn't get the changes happening. And, and in many ways, Roger, that is absolutely true, as you've proven every single week for about four years now. But um, I take away the fact that. The industry, and and, and we have such a great cross-section of people from Manchester United and Real Madrid and sports tech and bankers, and we have such a great cross-section of the industry, and the industry clearly understands that change is happening, dramatic change is happening, the kind of change that means people have to upend the way they think about their business model, about who their customers are, about who their capital is gonna come from. And that, that actually gave me an awful amount of hope that people aren't stuck in this ideal world that we'll, we're gonna keep what we're doing because the world around us will change back to the way it was. And that's, I think, incredibly promising.
2: Well, to me, a lot of the changes, because it's a, a business meeting essentially, we're very focused on the business side. Monetization, how do we increase the yeah. ARPU, how do we get the fans to pay more, how do we get access to their data? And the reality is, is that at the same time, you know, even to your point about cricket, the sport itself has to change. Uh, You know, is it too long? Is it too short? You know, we're talking about in Major League Baseball, uh, you know, there's a shot clock for pitching now and the games are faster and everybody's watching, but the average, you know, team owner might be selling $10 million less of beer because people are there, but does it matter that or does it matter on the broadcast side? And so you have these like two things that are moving at the same time where you need to optimize on the revenue side, but you have to also relentlessly have some level of product innovation, which you're going to have pushback from every dewy-eyed fan like yourself who remembers the way it used to be.
0: Well, Dan, let me ask you a question. If, if, if I could make you the overlord of sport, you were the, the commissioner of every single sport in America. We'll stick to America.
2: Um, I kind of want to live in Europe though so.
0: Yeah, but it's a mess. You've already you've, you've spent 2 days here and what a mess it is. Um what's the one change you would make to any sport if you could have carte blanche do anything you liked?
2: Wow, that is a big question. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think I think one of the biggest tensions is as I said which was that Every sport started out essentially as a regional sport because it was a live event business. And now clearly the majority of the revenues are not in a live event business. And as a result, not only do you have that tension, but you have so much... I mean, think about the carbon footprint of every sports team. And I don't mean that like in a Save the Planet way, which there's an impact there as well, but just like... The cost structure is like crazy. And, you know, if you live in the middle of the country, if you're the New Orleans Saints or the Pelicans, you actually travel more than anyone else because you're going in one direction, then you're going in the other direction. And at some point, how do you resolve the tension between people want to come and they want to experience it, except the majority of your money you're making on a on a larger scale. And then in all these sports, you know, there's eight teams that are 80% of the audience. You know, you're... Cowboys and your Knicks and your Lakers and stuff like that, and a whole bunch of smaller regional teams, just like in Europe, a whole bunch of smaller regional leagues that really, to some extent, are actually more localized businesses. And I just, I don't know what the answer is between trying to figure those things out. I think things like the NBA bubble, which was just a COVID thing, but where everybody was in the same place and you were able to play a higher liquidity but ultimately probably the single biggest thing i would do would be have less games. Right. You know, football wins in part as the biggest sport in the United States cuz it's just it's just war, it's just a battlefield and they line up and they but it's also like it's mostly on sunday and there's only 17 or 18 games and i i play fantasy football and i could never play a sport where there's games like 3 to 4 times a week, yeah. you know, it's like it, it it takes it's leisurely pace or even something like the nca tournament it's like 4 weeks and they play thursday through saturday and that's it and you think about you know 164 i think or 62 baseball games and 82 basketball games now the nba says you can't rest your players and all these other things like that and i think we do kind of as much as we are a long tail we drive towards these big events and I think if you look at all those sports and you kind of created a structure where you owned a day of the week, you had a smaller number of games, the athletes benefited, and everybody, there's almost no build-up when you're playing every single day
3: yeah. in that way. So I, I think it would be probably something around that. Sport is entertainment now, and it has to compete against other entertainment properties, and that's a, it's a good idea to do that because sometimes, like, I'm a big NBA fan, 82-game season, and it's, you just miss chunks of it. Like, I go, oh, it's kind of catch up with it later, later in the season. Well, and
0: and the players always say they don't care about the regular season, right? It's tough as a fan to care about someone that you know the players don't. Yeah. It's all about the
3: playoffs. Yeah. What does Reggie Miller say? Play time, money time, you know? <laughs> exactly. Wait for the end of the season and, and then you turn it on. Two-thirds of viewership is around the playoffs. Yeah. just makes sense.
0: But, but baseball, I mean, 161 two games a season just seems – I mean, it's always seemed ridiculous to me from the first time I went to America. It's like, they play how many times a year? Surely there's a way to cut that down, because the stadiums aren't full.
2: I mean, I, I used to work in the music industry, and I think they used to say about, like, streaming, like, I don't want to be the guy to propose streaming and have it be wrong and lose my job. Like, I'll just keep doing my thing until it goes out of business. And somehow, miraculously, it happened, and now streaming is the driving force of the music business. But similarly, like, do you want to be the guy at Major League Baseball who's like, we should have 20 games? and like lose all the fans and every record has seven asterisks and like everything else like that. But I also think even, I mean the NFL only has 17 or 18 games. It's the only league in America where there's a hundred percent injury rate. Every single player is injured. Like right. I play fantasy sports, and the majority of it has more to do with injuries and who's gonna play. You play fantasy please. sports and get injured. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's quite something. I mean <laughs> my kind of thumb, my, my, the sprain on my thumb is unbelievable. <laughs> and and I and I think and that's why people rest in in you know in basketball and otherwise. So you've got a lot of different factors and not just around the audience but around the athletes and their longevity as well
1: dan you have a an extraordinary young audience and that's something that over time really prides itself on how do you obviously you're looking to um be on trend for people um for, for the kids in particular how, how does it work of what you're generating that is adopted versus listening to the fans to adopt what they want how does how do how do you strategically work on that as a team
2: Uh, Well, when I was up here, I said something was lit, and then Roger's son told me, like, you can't say that anymore. And I was like, (laughs) fuck you, I can say whatever I want. No, but uh, uh, um, it's it's clearly not fire to say lit anymore. Uh, um, You know, it's funny because it really, in some ways, it depends to me a lot on how you talk to and listen to your audience. I mean, you can go hire some consulting firm to do something or other around that. I mean, we run a lot of accounts on the internet. Um, I read a lot of the comments. I get a lot of direct messages. I have a lot of. We have a whole channel where people post in Slack, where people just post interesting comments and things that people say in the comments. So the audience is actually talking to you all the time, especially if you're not just giving them essentially, like you know the blank play of the game sponsored by so-and-so, because there's not a lot for them to say around that. So I think if you know how to use social media effectively, and then I like every athlete, for example, who plays in our basketball league, I methodically go through and I look at every single person they follow. And I like discover all of this stuff about them or like when they play video games and stuff. So I think like if you're willing to be nerdy enough and research oriented about it, I think you're able to see and understand what that level of consumption is. And then I'll say like, oh, you play in my basketball league. How many live basketball games do you watch? Well, I don't watch any. And you're like, well, how are you a basketball fan? And, and they'll tell you and otherwise. And you think, well, gee, the whole business is built on you having to watch the
3: live games." Yeah, so. yeah, you have to do that. Like, that the generation that, um, that you appeal to is, I, would, I call them the on-demand generation. It's like, I want this and I want it now. And I always, like, I love messing with my kids. We get in the car and I put the radio on. And they are just, like, bamboozled. Like, change the song. Like, you can't. You know, why is there ads? You know, like, and, and I would think about that all the time, even with our stuff and our tech. is like, what are we trying to solve for? We're trying to solve for a generation that's coming through that are very used to, you know, uh, I, I'm old enough that I grew up with free-to-air TV and newspapers um, and young enough that I've kind of seen that transition kind of right in front of my eyes and I can understand both sides of the coin but my kids are just like well if I want to hear this song I listen to it right now and if I want to watch this TV show I'll watch it right now and so that's why I think sports also got to understand and that's when Dan talks, when you talk about how you're researching your audience that's what I think you're trying to work out, he's like what do they want and what is the on demand moment of that now and then what we're trying to solve for is what is the, the distribution, the digital technology that allows you to facilitate that, that transaction.
2: I think also it's just, to me, as like not a hardcore sports fan, sports is just culture. And so I'm interested in all forms of culture, like they used to release records, and then they were albums, and now by the time Drake has an album, every song has been a single, and you're just like, well, why do I need the album? Like, I've been listening to all of these songs. Or, you know, every restaurant in New York starts out in a food cart and then goes yeah. to a little space and then goes to another space. And so, and then it's about the discovery of them. And then I come to Bologna and I'm like, I found this restaurant and I go there and it's completely filled with Americans who use the same list I did. And I'm just like, ah, <laughs> oh, this isn't really what I was looking for. But I, I think to me, it's just interesting. Or, you know, binge watching on Netflix and then, you know, HBO went the opposite way and you had to wait the next week towards succession. To, to come out. And so looking at how all the different participants of culture across music and food and fashion and everything else, I mean, we're talking about Oreos and collabs and fashion is a huge part. And you know, we, for even in our basketball league, we have a collab with Rolling Loud, which is a huge hip hop music festival on Amazon Music. And it's almost like the person who runs all the brand for the league comes from a sneaker background where all he does is collabs. And now all our teams in the league are doing collabs all the time. And to somebody in sports, they're just like, well, I don't understand. Why are you collabing with a music festival? And I'm like, it's just cool. Because it's lit. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's litty. Um, <laughs> and so I just think there's so much to, to understand from that as well, uh, which maybe a purist doesn't like. But Extracted, is just, it's entertainment and it's culture.
0: And let me, let me ask you something, because um, you showed me a year ago uh, Aura, which blew me away. And, and I, I, as a fan of sport uh and someone that for my generation has a decent grasp of technology um y- you showed me a world of possibilities that I couldn't in on my own I just couldn't picture what the world would look like so talk to us a little bit about where technology is taking sport from the viewer perspective because you you guys are creating a world that I think many of us unless we've shown it we can't even think about what's possible. And, and it really changed the way I think about where this stuff's going.
3: Yeah, well, first of all, thank you. That's very nice to hear. We get really good feedback. Um, and I think we, we think we're, we're trying to solve a different piece of the puzzle to what, for example, like what Dan's doing. Um, I touched on it just a moment ago. I think we think about the, gen- the generations coming through and that on-demand sort of nature. Yeah. And then how do, you, how do you solve for that? And when I talk to leagues, rights holders... It's pretty common that they will say, we have so much content and we have so much data and we know that there's all these social channels and we know there's fans engaging there, you know, in a simplistic way, we're like, well, why wouldn't you bring all that together and and then allow the fan to kind of navigate their own way through that. I think about the the generational issues of, you know, someone that's 70 is used to consuming a certain way and someone that's 15 consumes in a, a very different way. But it all sits in the same ecosystem. So people can self-select through that and then navigate their way through it. If And if you're going to be an entertainment proposition, like my kids just will, I mean, this is very cliched, but it's very true. They will not sit and watch an entire game. It just doesn't happen. So how do you, if you think about, your, if you're a sports league and you realize you're an entertainment property, how can you deliver an experience to that individual where they feel like it is so... Um, authentic and genuine for the experience that they want to consume from that. That then it becomes a compelling argument. That that's how we think about it a lot. Like I I deal a lot with AWS. You know, there's like one one great data point is when they the stuff they do with Formula One. It's 300 points of data per car per second. Yeah. It's insane. It's a fire hose to the face of data. You know, but there's lots of really cool things that you can extract from that to. And every sport has those, those same issues. So that, that's, I guess, how we think about it.
1: During the, the, the summit, we've been pulled out six areas of, of challenge, concern for the industry. And Roger's forthcoming book, it'll be a Christmas hit, I have no doubt, The Perfect Storm, Sport's Perfect Storm, will be addressing that and maybe solution. I'm interested, we, we painted a picture of both quite, quite a lot of gloom and quite a lot of nervousness, but also hopefully some solutions how sport can cope. To add a little levity or, or positivity, who do you think, from, and from your point of view, from both of you, who's doing it well? Who, who's in the ascendancy right now in the sports industry
3: globally? You want me to go first?
2: Yeah. <laughs> I don't have an answer yet. I was just like so distracted by seeing my stocking by the tree with Roger's book Bobby in it that That's I couldn't answer thing. the question.
1: Well, you could use those. Stock- you could give some stockings I, I to have, Ant have, as well.
3: I have some odd socks. You could put one yeah. in. Um, and the stockingless uh, lad next to me. To be, to be frank, I don't think anyone's actually kind of doing it well. I think people are trying to to work it out. but I also think it's you know what we've spoken about the last couple of days is that it it's not a problem yet for these people, but it's becoming a problem. Um, I've always thought about this with our tech. You know, like We have some seriously cool stuff. I've flown around the world, meet a lot of people, show a lot of people. And, and I, I've said, you know, and there's long sales cycles, especially for what we do, right, to get in. And I've always said to people, I felt like we're a bus. You know, you're gonna get on at some point. And if it's not now, it might be later. And it, and it might be, you know, and, and our job is to survive until that point and continue to, to make improvements and, and push the, the boundaries of what the technology can do. Um, some leagues, you know, and some tiers of sports are going to face these crises sooner rather than later. And our hope is that we can be a, a potential solution to them at, at that time. I have a feeling eventually everyone's going to face that moment. It's going to be, you know, every industry and what's happening in the macro environment in the world, it's, you reach a point of innovate or die or technology moves so quickly that you have to adapt to that change. Um, and, you know, I touched on in the, in the conference around, you know, what's happening in AI and machine learning and, and deep learning and, and that stuff is a wave that is coming. You know, if anyone's – I'm sure everyone in this room has used chat GPT at some point. And the first time you use it, it blew your mind, you know, and it is the tip of the iceberg. Um, so that's that, – that, that technological shift is upon us and everyone will face it. They're, they're you know – not in a gloomy way, but the kind of either the day of reckoning or the or the, opp- the opportunity is going to come to every league, every club, and and you know from selfishly from an aura perspective, we hope to be at that junction at that time. You know.
2: Uh, so I'll give you three. <laughs> Formula One, obviously, it's no big surprise. The Drive to Survive show was great. The the structure, meaning you see the same. People compete against each other every week, week on week, as opposed to tennis where the two best players might not play each other for six months. Um, And just the live event aspect where I find that, you know, American millennials who don't know anything about it are telling me they want to go to Miami because they've heard it's like a thing and they get there and the car goes by for two minutes and they're just like, this is different yet oh yeah I went I went there like all the buzz and all the creation then just all the tweaks of the product and I think the Vegas thing is like so unbelievably ambitious and you're racing down the strip at midnight um so I think a lot of uh and full disclosure liberty media is an investor in overtime (laughs) but that's not why I'm saying it but so I think that I think the UFC has done a great job right what did they do early on they just bought all the competitors and just put them out of business. I used to be very into MMA and I used to watch K1 and like all of these other things. And now there's really just UFC. And they created a platform where in something like boxing, potentially, it might be about who the big fight is, but you know, you could have UFC 226, Dan versus Ant, and people would still be like, oh, it's UFC. So the ability to create like a a parent brand. And to your point, I probably don't, but it'll be socks versus no socks. Um, but to your point, to drop a traveling circus anywhere, which I thought was a, like a really, like a very clear visual metaphor, I think is enormously powerful down to whatever Dana White fighting on an island during COVID and so forth, and of course, all the business things and everything that Ari has done with UFC and WWE, I mean, it's just like, it's continually top of mind, and uh, I wouldn't want to be in the business of competing with them. There's a lot of things I don't mind competing with, but I I think it would be tough to compete uh, with them, Uh, and my third one was, let's see, UFC, Formula One, and uh, I had a great third one, and now. So, we can edit this out
0: you come yeah. if it come, when it pumps back in your head we'll come back to it but let me ask you both um, as as guys using technology to disrupt sport we, we had a panel here a fantastic panel and we talked about how difficult it was to get uh, rights holders to engage with technology and, and invest money into technology they'd rather see it particularly in the case of football spent on uh, uh, you know, players what do you think it is that we, we live in a world where the adoption of technology by the consumers is so rapid. People just embrace anything technology that comes in front of them, and, they're, and they're, they're so hungry for it. What do you think it is that stops these sports rights holders, these teams, these franchises taking a chance and rolling the dice on new technology and saying, look, let's, let's roll this out? Because they would be able to do deals that wouldn't be that expensive. They'd be able to take risks that people would understand because it's technology and it's cool it either works or it doesn't work and people have moved on to the next thing. Where's the problem like?
3: I think it's a window in time. Like um, technology is advancing at an accelerating rate but the last decade is like let's call it one generation of technology and so like again I talk to a lot of the sporting leagues and the common thing will be like it's cyclical in, that, in business as well, by the way. They all started with, we'll use an agency to build X. Mm-hmm. Then, hold on, we'll bring it all in-house. And they invest all this time, money, and then now the next generation comes. But those, those engineers, um, the product people, are, are now so busy managing the, the technical debt that they've got and keeping those systems up and running that they lose all innovation, R&D. And, and the next cycle, which are, I think we're at the beginning of that now, is and they start looking externally again for innovation. And, and, and so, I th- again, I think it's that, that moment in time right now where I've had a lot of those conversations of like, oh, we have an engineering team and we can do this and that. And then you, you try and get into the, the weeds of it and like, oh, we're just, we don't have the bandwidth. you know So maybe that cycle is, is starting to shift. I mean, that, I'm, I'm an, an ever optimist. We heard Bo, Bo and I are very, I think, similar in a lot of ways. Um, And very optimistic that, you know, the winds will change and there will be opportunity in some of the gloom, you know, that we sort of discussed on.
2: I I would say uh, I think there is actually a lot of change. I mean, to me, I could be watching an NFL game on my television on the third floor. And all of a sudden I have to go downstairs and grill or something. And so 10 years ago, that meant I wasn't watching it. Now I have YouTube TV, so I just put it on my phone. I put it next to the grill. It's like I go to the store, and I'm still watching the game. And, like, that's still kind of fucking mind-altering to me. Like, as somebody who was trapped in front of their TV, I couldn't get home exactly at 1 o'clock. And so you think about the time shifting, the portability of watching. Like, that is actually gigantic. And then when they introduced the Red Zone, it's like you had a sports bar on your TV, and you had six games up there at the same time. Like... You still can't really even do that on linear television or when you watch a match or anything else like that. So I think from, like, I don't need to have a headset on to be in some world changing who my players are to experience, like, just being old, the the methods of consumption and all of those things around it, the ability to participate, the ability to watch highlights after it happened, all the technology between behind all betting and fantasy sports. I mean, sometimes I would literally watch a game in my fantasy app because I can see how many yards they're gaining with real-time data. And like that's really different than being a kid and getting the newspaper and reading who hit a home run or not. So it takes a long time. And to me, the most impactful are some of those larger ones. But it means whether I'm in the car listening to it on the radio or on my phone or moving around in the world, my ability to consume sports is at a higher level on that technology. I remembered my third thing in innovation, which is college football. Like college football in the United States, which is you know, a weird factor of American sports, um, you know, is like going under this consolidation where there's a championship and now there's more teams in a championship and they're basically taking the format of a league from something that was kind of like almost, an, uh, you know, a high margin but like gentlemen's club of you played like this and now you've got, you know, a, a league in the East that have teams in the West. Like it doesn't even, I don't even know why they have the word East in their name anymore. But it's clear that, I mean, money and rights are driving that innovation, Um, but they're going to reshape something which has a longer, I mean, college football was played for 30 years before the NFL. In the 70s and 80s, like, especially in the 70s, college basketball was bigger than professional basketball. Like, in the United States, our history of sports, the first football game was played between Princeton and Rutgers, two colleges and so you talk about something that's slow to change, you know, with a very fragmented alumni base who, who says that, and the amount of change and putting conferences out of business and stuff like that, it's kind of mind-boggling.
1: Well, I think as we've been, you know, berating or, or nervously looking at the, at the storm clouds ahead, I think, well, I'll just reflect down on what you're saying. Compared to any, anybody in the room, and a lot of us are over 40, quite a lot over 50, a few beyond that, and even beyond that. Um, when you think about what the fan experience used to be growing up compared to how spoilt, in a good way the fan is now that you can experience your fan, your fandom through all sorts of channels, not just through the screen or even just reading a print article
2: about something or poster on the wall. It's fantastic for me. The sports industry is fantastic. The The single greatest innovation in sports fandom, honestly is group chat. Like I think people underestimate, like iMessage, at least in the United States, is probably actually the largest social graph and social network. And every single game that I consume and every fantasy product I'm in has a group chat in it. And I can be connected with people I went to high school and it's very lightweight and it's on my phone. And in fact, the smartest content providers I know talk about this idea of like winning the group chat. Like I want to make something that's like so dope, if I'm allowed to say that, that they, like, people put it into the group chat, and that's where it goes, and you think about how many people have tried to create second screen experiences as companies and startups, That's just really hard compared to just you pick up your phone and there's something in the group chat, oh, I can't believe we missed that, and there are times when I'm watching the game five minutes behind when I'm like, oh, my phone's vibrating, and I'm like, I can't turn it over because I'm about to find out that we either scored or didn't score and otherwise but sports is inherently social and as i described before that's the greatest thing about going to a live event you know a a live european soccer game and everybody's singing their chants and everything like that is amazing that's really hard to replicate at home with your family or your kids but as soon as you're on that group chat you are essentially in a in a virtual world of live experience with other people um, that i think has i think without that sports would be much weaker I bet you're quite reticent as well. I bet you don't have much to say on, on your routine. My emoji game is extremely strong.
0: You know, I, I guess this, I want to come back to this, this same question, Dan, because what you've said there um, kind of just reinforces my question. We talked about um, YouTube TV, we talked about Red Zone, you know, both great products. But again, when you look at, um, the technology available and again you know coming back to aura the things you've shown me that it's possible to do we talk about that second screen experience and i guess the holy grail is to bring the second screen experience to the first screen if you can crack that then you've kind of got the holy grail but when i when i look at what's available what you can do with that technology now it makes youtube tv and the red zone and the shot tracer and this new thing on the pga 2 where they have the green and, and as the ball's in flight you can see where it's going to land they almost seem Stone Age with what's possible. So why is there no rapid innovation? We're going to try, to try all these well, crazy I things. I agree with Ant. Like
2: it's just a bus, and they're going to get on it sooner or later. But why not? And it's like, like the first stop. I, I don't understand. No, no. It's like when I lived in San Francisco. At one point, my father-in-law said to me, "Do you know what Google is?" And I thought, <laughs> "Oh shit! I better buy Google stock now." Five years later, because my eighty-two-year-old father-in-law knows what Google is, and he never turned back. But Five years later than everyone else. It just, you know, adoption is primarily driven more by word of mouth and by socialization and by even somebody who can tell you how to turn it on and explain how it works
3: uh, than anything else. The biggest client we have now, um, I won't say who it is, but their market share is diminishing uh, every year. So they had to come up with a strategy to solve for that. We were a solution for that, and that's the process that we're in now. And I touched on it before; like, it that that's the bus, right? And and they're just at the stop now, where they've got to make changes because they're losing one and a half to two points every year to their to their competitors who are innovating. So at some point, there's this necessity to do it. And look, we don't want everyone coming at once anyway; we couldn't cope. But <laughs> but you know, it, yeah, like like Dan said, it's it's. The waves are coming, you know, and I think people will start to embrace some of this. Uh, we've never thought about our stuff, by the way. As a set, like We can do a second screen experience. The way that we think about stuff, and we built a prototype on this, which I haven't really spoken about before. It's seriously cool. We'll f- hopefully fully build it next year when we have uh, a little bit of breathing room. But it's interconnectivity of devices. So it's you have all the cool things that you can have on your mobile and, and you can then move choose which elements you want on on the big screen and on your personal screen. So to, to Dan's point, even you can be a group of friends, you can be in different parts of the world, you have a shared experience on one screen and a personal experience on the other and you're interacting with each other. Um, just a, on the on the chat stuff, I agree with Dan 100%. Like one of the, the really fun ideas that we've got that we want to build into Aura is like a, yeah, it's a simple idea, it's just a meme generator. Right. You can grab any moment from a game or whatever else and you can, and then drag that straight into the group chat and have that sit in the same environment. And, um, you know, like with a few of the guys here last night, we were joking around and we set up a, a, a WhatsApp group called Memes Only. So you're not allowed to text. You can't. All you can do is send a meme to, to make your point. And it was pretty funny. But,
0: but, this, but this kind of reinforces my point because I hear you talk about this stuff. I hear you guys talk about what you can do. And I want it now. I, like, I hear that and I go, I want that. I want that right now. Why is there such a delay between that and people saying, I'm going to trial that because I guarantee you, just hearing that description, the fans are going to say, "Yeah, I want that." What what is that delay? If
1: if it
2: is an arms race, which it clearly is, right? Yeah. You're trying to protect your market share. Your short answer, Nikim. So I would say, like, we haven't even totally been in a realm of high speed internet for that long. Okay. Yeah. Like good point. Files, which is like light based internet. I was the first person. My entire block had to get them to come to my block ten years ago to do that if you look at streaming uh like anything versus essentially watching the game live over cable it's still slightly better I, I mean even the gpu ability to render some of these things and other things like that it's just technologically it feels like we're so advanced because we're on our phone half the time and yet i can i can barely i can't text in here without wi-fi right okay.
3: and the investment like you got to fall into the investment cycles of each potential client. You know, like, not everyone's going, oh, we're going to drop, you know, 10 million, 20 million, whatever the number might be each year on something new, right? Like, we... I'm good friends with Nick Bourne, who who was here. Um, And when I first met Nick, like, his comment to me was like, shit, like, we've literally just started, you know, we're building this thing, and I've met you two months too late. right you just got to wait for the next cycle, you know, and I think there's just a lot of people that the cycle's that they're a little unsure, there's a dramatic shift in technology, you don't want to, to Dan's point, you don't want to make the wrong bet, so you kind of wait a little bit and see how this stuff's rolling out and then, you know, um, to use the same analogy as, like, the bus, like, it's dominoes, right? So the first couple get going, and all of a sudden, everyone's like, "Oh, okay, have it. Yeah. that's that's what we want now." Like, and it's, it's, you know, we had to get product market fit, and then you've got to get product in market. You got to prove it out. You got to get the data and analytics back. It, it's if there's one thing I've learned through the journey of creating this this business, is to be patient.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know? I would
3: say also the average age of the television linear
2: television viewer in the United States is fifty four years old, um, and you know. The average age of the Fox News viewer is probably like 70 years old. But even if you take the 54-year-old who is fairly happy with the th- way things are, you know, if they drink a little less and eat a little better low-fat diet, they're probably going to live 20 more years, which means for a whole chunk of that audience, things are pretty fucking great. Like, they don't really have a problem with it, and they're not going to die for a while. And so a lot of the existential crisis is like the young people. And the reality is also young people monetize way worse than old people. They just don't have as much money. Credit card penetration isn't always there at the same level. And so you've got this massive audience wave in terms of numbers. Buying power isn't there yet. And so you're still kind of rich, happy, and fat off of the traditional people who do that. And, of course, like if you try to be somewhat disruptive as I, I think I've tried to be with my business. You try to take advantage of that. But for most people, you go to an NFL game and there's 80,000 people there and they're all wearing the jersey and they're drinking beer and they're cheering and, you know, they're booing. Like You're like, it's pretty fucking great. Well,
0: you know, as as optimistic takeaways go, uh, being 54 and probably not going to die fairly soon is actually a pretty good optimistic takeaway, I think. So- yeah,
2: I mean, I would say look both ways before you cross the street yeah,
0: yeah, and wear your seatbelt, but... Gilo, let, let, me, let me ask you a question, if I may. Um, there, there's another component part of this, which is sponsorship. And obviously, that's your world. You've been in that world for a, for a long, long time. What did you hear at this conference that either made you rethink or confirmed any beliefs you had about sponsorship or, or, or made you want to tear what hair you have left out? Well,
1: that, that ship has sailed. Um, I, I'm very bullish and very excited about the sponsorship industry because of the innovation that we're talking about. And I think as people catch up, you know, as we're all learning all of the time. I think the more en- the more engaged a fan is, the more opportunity there is for the- a smart sponsor to be part of the conversation legitimately and authentically. And I think that digital and great engagement is a better way to do that than just sitting looking at... No one ever ever bought anything by looking at a perimeter board. No one ever bought a beer because they, they read a beer on a football match. But if you're in the conversation that... It- that, that allows you to be part of the experience to the fan legitimately. I think it's a big opportunity. I think the, the, the sponsorship industry has a lot to learn still, but I'm I'm confident long term, definitely.
0: All right, listen, we're gonna, we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up
2: to a minute, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw gonna give this... you a sponsorship opportunity. Go for it. So it's not uh, putting
0: my name on uh, ant socks because that's going nowhere.
2: It might. Um, monogram so so I went to a Barcelona football match like we were there I'd never been I realized I could walk from where our hotel was and we were a guest of them so we had decent seats and it was really fun and I got there and like a bunch of young people were standing around and I kind of tried to find one who spoke English and I was like What are you guys doing? And they said, oh, this is where the players drive in. And you get to see all the fancy cars that the players have. But there weren't a ton of people there. But there were definitely a bunch of people. And I was like, oh, cool. And there was like a Rolls Royce and all these other. And you couldn't even see the players. They were just like, it was an amazing car show. And there were no seats. And there was no sponsorship. And there was nothing else there. And I would have been like, fuck, you got to own that shit. Sell sponsorship, live stream it for everybody (laughs) who's not there. And it's like, they were pretty excited. I bet a lot of other people would be excited.
0: There are somewhere out there. Someone's taking notes from this. You know, someone's listening to this going, I need to get to this before Dan Paul does. All right, listen, before we wrap up, I'm throwing this at you completely unknown. There's, there's I've given you no heads up for this, but I figure we do it. And I'm going to start with you first, Giles, just to give the, our guests a chance to, um, to think about this. But um, I want a very quick one goal and one own goal from you in the sports world. It could be anything. It could be something we've heard in this conference. It could be something the industry's doing right, something the industry's doing wrong, leagues, clubs, whatever it may be, Giles. And I'm putting you on the spot first. Oh, you really are. Um. Yeah. We can edit out any lengthy pauses, don't worry. Well, so I, a goal for me has been, despite all of
1: the um, pressures about the sport that I possibly love the most, which is rugby, I've loved the Rugby World Cup in France. Oh, is it on? It, it is on. Oh. And it's, um, it, it's, uh, I don't know if my team Wales are going to win. In fact, I know they won't. But I've, I've, loved, I've loved it. Um, so that's, that's a, a positive. But on the negative, in the same sport, in fact, I worry greatly um, about the future of, of um, the sport of rugby for the, the existential problems that exist within it and the ability of the sport to get themselves out. I hope that something can be done, but it, it, that that is a sort of both bittersweet, I guess.
0: All right, Dan. One goal, one on goal from the world of sport for me. Luckily I know what own goal means.
2: Um, I would say one goal is, I think more broadly, there's a higher level of athlete empowerment than there's ever been. Um, both in terms of making money, but making choices and decisions about their lives. Um, athletes don't necessarily want to be pawns in the, the game of owners. One of the craziest things for me is every sport I've gotten into, when I just do a little bit on the athlete experience, just like treating them right and everything else like that, the amount of feedback that we get is so giant that it just kind of shocks me each time. Um, but you see athletes having a greater voice in both their own careers and and where they play and so forth, and I think that's enormously powerful. I would say um, own goal. I find that regulatory bodies, or whatever they're called, FIBA, FIFA, all these things usually exist to self-perpetuate their own power rather than for what is in the greatest interest of the sport. And I would find that ultimately they have the least interest in athletes and athletes empowerment directly. I mean, I'm speaking broadly, but I think many people have tried to do stuff around the world, have found themselves like, I can't just set up a soccer match somewhere else or sign somebody in basketball without some agency saying, well, you've come and you've done this and this and you need our permission. And like, I can have a startup tomorrow, I don't need anybody's permission to do that. Um, and so I think that, that becomes
3: an inhibitor of innovation. All right, and over to you, my friend. I'll be short and sweet, and I'll put in reference to, to the conference. So the goal is just an amazing group of people and the high quality of the conversation, and the own goal is Roger's choice of entertainment, following those conversations. Um, <laughs> uh, and. and uh, <laughs> Over to yeah, you. That's fair enough.
0: Well, you, you, you took my goal. I was, I was going to say the same thing. I said, if, if anything, this, this, this conference has just made me realise what an incredible amount of thoughtful talent there is in this business. And as a sports fan, that heartens me greatly. Um, and uh, my own goal, because I'm the host, I'm going to have two goals. I'm not going to have an own goal. My own goal, my second goal is uh, the fact that it's the Ryder Cup next week, which is, for me, one of the greatest sporting events of any sport on the calendar. And I cannot wait to watch Europe smash the United States this time. In here in Italy. Listen, that's it. We've had a fantastic conference. Roger, again, a thanks to you for doing a wonderful job. Thanks Thank you, to everybody rog. here uh, for, for sticking around after the conference to listen to this. And especially a uh, special guest to, a uh, special thanks to our special guest Dan Porter and Antarina. Thanks guys very much. Appreciate it.
3: Thank you very
2: much. Thanks, Roger. That was weird.